Ghosts, specters, whatever you want to call them, they've been around for thousands of years. Apparently she died from a tooth infection in one of the upstairs rooms in the house. As in the locations they haunt. History of a Haunting podcast tells you all about these famous, infamous, and almost famous locations. And why they became terrifying places to visit. Grab a glass of wine and settle in with your hosts, Archie. I mean, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. And Carrie. Nobody asked for it, Carrie. Nobody fucking asked for it. But hey, my podcast, and I'll say what I fucking want. (laughs) Two people just winging it in life and this podcast. So enjoy this week's episode of History of a Haunting. Hi, guys. Welcome to History of a Haunting. Hey, everybody. Today, we are going all the way to Australia. Arch? Yeah? Did you know that? Yes, I did. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You just sort of paused for half a second, and I was like, I said that out loud, didn't I? This Skype thing. I I thought there'd be more, but. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, well. Yeah. Um, Let's see here. Okay, so. We have a couple of things to discuss, <laughs> discuss, like we're so official and professional. Um, just <laughs> We have a new name. We finally came up with a new name for our updates and announcements. And I'm sorry, Archie, uh, that we didn't land on announcements and updates. Oh. I know. I know. Um, you really pulled out the creativity with that one, but. Hey, that's what I do. That is what you do, yes. So uh, you and I have decided to go a different direction, and in the beginning of the episodes, if we have any sort of, well, updates and announcements. (laughs) 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 Uh, Anything like that that we want to discuss before we dive into the episode, we've decided we're going to call them Reviewing Our EVPs. And Arch, why don't you tell the good folks what we are... Our, what our definition of EVPs is here at History of a Haunting. Oh, I forgot the V part. Um, vocal. Endless vocal prattle. Yes. <laughs> vocal prattle. Uh, prattle or prattling? Prattle. Prattle, yeah. So that's basically what all of this nonsensical stuff is, is endless vocal prattle. Uh, so we're going to call that uh, reviewing our EVPs. And <laughs> the first thing that I do want to... Um, Talk about just really quick is um, when we so everybody knows that every week we when we release an episode we also release photographs things like that stuff that we talk about in the episode on all of our social media and on Twitter we had a comment and a tweet um, from this amazing guy his name is Brett Carstens and he is um, he has a YouTube channel called the Casual Psychic. And he goes and he does investigations of locations. And he tweeted at us that he has been to old Idaho penitentiary. We never landed on that. Um, He's done an investigation there. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, the second I saw that, I was super excited. And I'm like, oh, my, tell me everything. Um, So he does have a YouTube channel. And we definitely want to... um, promote that and give him a shout out. It's a, it's a wonderful channel. This guy has been investigating the paranormal. I think he said since the seventies. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. Um, so he did say that uh, <laughs> this is terrifying beyond all get out. Uh, I asked him what his craziest experience at old Idaho pen was. And he says, quote, I had experiences near the entrance in the men's restroom with a bully spirit. Not not anything you want to have happen to you in a men's room. Yep, no, with living or spirit. <laughs> I have so many questions that I think I might have to direct message this guy and be like, I need to know more. About that. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's just God awful. Um, he also said that he had experiences in the cell blocks at death row, the hanging room and the laundry. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, so he did say that he can't uh, remember if he really got to explore anywhere else. Um, he thinks that at the time he was there, some spots were closed to the public, which, oh. Yeah. So um, he does have a, um, I believe it's several parts um, on his YouTube channel. Again, it's called the Casual Psychic, um, where you can go and see his investigation that he did. Um, I've only seen one, um, but I definitely want to watch the others. It, it, it sounds amazing. He does a really great job. So please find him. Brett Karsten's the casual psychic on YouTube. He goes and investigates a bunch of, a bunch of crazy places. So yeah, I was super excited to have, uh, yeah, heard from an actual uh, professional paranormal investigator that has investigated um, the old Idaho pen, which I'm going to call it because I'm tired of it that way. <laughs> it's that way. Uh, so, <laughs> so, um, that's the only EVP that I have, uh, to talk about. Arch, do you have anything? Do you want to talk about Joshua Tree and the masks? Well, um, sure. Now that um, I brought it up, why don't you talk about Joshua now, Tree? Yeah, now that I brought it up, why don't you talk about that? <laughs> it just popped into my head and then out of my mouth. And you know, I like to be as surprised as everybody else by what comes out of my mouth. So take it away. <laughs> Well, um, Joshua Tree, the pro the feeding program that we've kind of partnered with, um, they have a a person that is um, creating face masks out of different materials, um, approved materials, basically, and different patterns that um, when you purchase on their website for $10, 100% of the proceeds goes to Joshua Tree. That's excellent. That's excellent. It's very cool. It's very cool. Uh, what's... The website again, JTR, what? JT.org. Is it? Um, I'll have to look it up now. <laughs> Sorry. I thought it was like, J you know what, do you just find it? Because I'm going to say JDRF and I know that's not it. <laughs> that's Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. <laughs> I think it's JTFP. You are correct. It is JTF, as in Frank P. dot org. Ah, okay, okay. So you can order them on the website for ten dollars, and one hundred percent of the proceeds goes back to Joshua Tree. Correct. Correct. That's wonderful. Okay, yay, great. All right. So as soon as we're done here, I'm going to jump on and take a look at some of their designs. The one that you have is really cool. It's you said it was some sort of it was like a filigree. It's black and white, but some of the filigree looks like little ghosts to me. So I think <laughs> I might get that one because it's super cute. Okay, it's the pattern that I have is the silver acanthus leaf face mask. Oh my! They, they also have chrysanthemum, um, star Mickey Mouse. Oh, do it! Not totally get Mickey Mouse. 
Mickey Mouse Club, Minnie Mouse Ears, <gasps> Minnie Mouse Comic Strip, and Blue Diamond Mickey Mouse. <gasps> okay, all right. I just, okay, 100 bucks. Joshua Tree, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> and that can actually be found at squareup.com slash store slash Joshua-Tree-Feeding-Program. Wow, okay. All right. But if you just go to their website, there's like a little linky thing there, right? Oh, wow. Yep. And Cameo Evil Queen's face mask. Get the hell out. There's an Elsa face mask. This woman is a huge Disney fan. And dwarves. And actually, I think it's one of the sisters of perpetual indulgence. So that would be a drag queen that dresses like a nun. (laughs) I love it. I love it. One year for Halloween, we all went to my friends it was when I was working at Juton Hoops and we had all dressed up for Halloween and my friend um, and her husband were pregnant at the time and she went as a pregnant nun. It was the best. With the, the company I work at before I was hired on, um, I, I've seen pictures of one Halloween contest where all of the Jewish ladies dressed up as Catholic nuns. Oh my God, <laughs> seriously? Yeah. That is amazing. I love, I just love creativity like that. I mean, I'm going to hell anyway, so of course I would, but right. um, I'm not Catholic, so that's that's fine. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm emailing you the link right now. Oh, cool. Okay. I'll make sure to put it on our website, um, to put it on our website and our uh, Facebook page as well, and also in the show notes. Okay. Cool. Okay. Great. All right. Well, that's wonderful. I'm excited. The Evil Queens. I got to text Marie about that. My friend Marie is a huge Disney fan, just like I am. Um, so that's exciting. She does a lot. That's a lot of, that's time consuming work. It is. And it they're is. super cute. They're they really are. Cute. Yeah. Who'd have thought that like surgical masks would be like <laughs> exploding in the market. You know what I mean? Like, well, it was only a matter of time. I suppose. I suppose. Um, but shall we shall we get on with this? Yeah, let's get on with it. I don't have any other EVPs, um, endless vocal prattling prattles. <laughs> uh, if that's, if that's all you have at the masks, and let's get into it. This was a really fun location, and we've never done Australia before, so no, it was really interesting to read about too. Yeah, absolutely. So welcome to history of a haunting does Australia. Oh wait, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, whoa, wait, whoa, hang on. <laughs> And that, that should be Archie does Australia. <laughs> hey. Hey. Hit him up. He's single. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So let's, Arch, tell him where we're going today. All right. We're, like, we're going country. We're going to the Monte Cristo homestead in Junee, Australia. Yes. In New South Wales, Australia, which is uh, the Australian state that houses Sydney houses. <laughs> I'll take it. There we go. Um, so Sydney, it's over in Sydney, but it's a little more inland. Sydney's yes. like on the coast. Okay. Um, and now just for point of clarification, the Monte Cristo, Cristo or Cristo? Uh, either or. Uh, the Monte Cristo homestead has no affiliation with the book, the Counts of Monte Cristo or the sandwich. Correct. Okay. All right. Well, Arch, um, let me refill my wine here. And you, while I do that, you dive right in to the history of this place because it turned out to be a really cool little place. 
I really, I'm, I'm digging it. I'm here for the Monte Cristo homestead. Oh, wow. I heard that quirk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, hang on. All right. Yeah, let's do this, Arch. Talk to okay. me. What I have was as read on montecristo.com and ghoststory.co.uk. Cool. The original owner, Christopher William Crawley, born 1841 to 1910, acquired two parcels of land in Juni on conditional purchase, one of 400 acres, another 120 acres in January of 1876, under provisions of the Robertson Act of 1861. What is a, 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 do you say a conditional? Conditional purchase. Yeah, what I, is did, it? I didn't look it up. I wonder if it's just... A mortgage you, or something. You basically, either that or conditional, as in you buy the land for a certain use, and you then use it for that use. Okay, that makes that makes sense. Okay, sorry, go on. So after years of struggle, farming, and the many privations of regional life in a primitive slab hut, his fortunes changed <laughs> when the Great Southern Railway Line opened in 1878. Perhaps tipped off the year before, he acquired a license and built the Railway Hotel opposite the soon-to-be bustling railway station. Oh, shit. At that time, the village consisted of Mr. Crawley's hotel, the adjoining railway store run by George Dobbins, and a few scattered slab houses and bark huts. The township, the township benefited tremendously from the influx of travelers and agricultural trade, fueling the region's explosive growth. For sure. Holy crap. That was a genius yeah. move. Sure, sure was. Yeah. And as such, Crowley's wealth increased dramatically, as did his holdings, acquiring almost the entire area of present-day Junie <gasps> at its peak. Holy shit. It could have been called Crowley at that point. Oh, God. <laughs> no, wait. Is it Crowley? Like Cr Crowley? Crowley. Crowley. C-R-A-W-L-E-Y. Okay, so Crowley. Either, either, or I suppose. Okay, I mean, you know what? That's our podcast. We'll just pronounce it how we... However the fuck we want. Whatever the wine tells us to say, we'll say it. <laughs> Mr. Crawley soon became a force to be reckoned with. More than a pillar of society, he became a town founder. His natural generosity and sense of civic responsibility resulted in him being held in a high regard by all segments of the community. As a devout Roman Catholic, he donated a parcel of land to the church and helped finance the construction of St. Joseph's Church and other important civic projects at a time when government funding wasn't available. Oh, wait, when was this? What year? Uh, 1878. Wow, shit, okay. His hard-earned wealth and newfound social status needed an omnipresent symbol, so Monte Cristo, literally Mount of Christ, came into being. Yes. Prior to the construction of the new house in 1884-85, the Crawleys lived in a small brick cottage, now called the original homestead. It was built in 1876 and became the kitchen and servants' quarters, which itself was a part of the trend as their original on-site home, a slab hut, had become servants' quarters when finances improved and a grander brick replacement was constructed. I mean, I made the same decisions. Right. With mine, yeah. The, I made the same. The slab hut made way for stables to house Mr. Crowley's prized racehorses, which coincided with the construction of the dairy and preceded a wood ballroom, which stood directly behind the old homestead and was connected to a carbide gas supply, illuminating the main house in 1902. Damn. Yeah, baller. Right. <laughs> 
Envisioned as the grandest home of the region's lauded gentry, Monte Cristo succeeded in becoming the ultimate status symbol. Like a castle in feudal Europe, it was the center of local power and sat perched high on a hill so his lord could survey his realm from the second floor balcony. However, it was still a farming property. The nucleus of Crawley family agricultural, wow, agricultural, what? What? <laughs> agricultural pursuits, and Mr. Crawley wasn't above getting, getting his hands dirty. No, okay. no price was spared in its construction, built of sand stock bricks fired on site and laid on a dry stone foundation. In over a century, not a single crack has appeared. Downstairs walls are 18 inches thick, the upper 9 inches, and both made of solid brick. The ceilings are 12 feet high, upstairs constructed of cypress pine, milled locally, and downstairs lath and plaster. Oh, shit. Okay. So it's wood paneled upstairs. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Because I was like, wait, what? I'm not following. Yeah. The- I mean, I'm so rich that I don't have to know what that's about. Just make it happen. <laughs> but thank you for dumbing it down for me. <laughs> <laughs> the interior plan of the house is simple, with rooms opening off a central hallway, which runs through the house and contains a staircase. Mm, yeah. As a late Victorian house of pleasing line and proportion, it retains much of the symmetry of an earlier period with only the applied decoration of plaster work and a cast iron lattice adding to the necessary touch of opulence so loved by the Victorians. Its charm was in the balance of design, and in this it demonstrates a style of building unchanged since early colonial days. Wow. Yeah, I need a breath after that. Who have you? I mean, okay. So, in all of your research, did you see pictures of this place? Because it's beautiful, dude. It's stunning, stunning it's house. Absolutely stunning, but it also looks like it. It's a mansion, but it, uh, because it's from the Victorian era, the roofs are really tiny. <laughs> they are. They're like really small. Like that staircase. There's a big grand staircase. Uh, behind, I think, very heavy velvet green drapes that takes you up to the second floor. And even that is, like, small. And it, I was looking at the pictures of it, and I was like, I feel like I'm in Barbie's Victorian dream house. Like, it's so <laughs> little on the inside. But anyway, sorry. I thought I was, <laughs> it's all right. The wine thought that it, that was necessary to say. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, the homestead was renowned as one of the region's social centers, a place where balls were held and local gentry idled away the day in country pursuits, playing tennis and golf on the region's first course. In between these pleasant activities, the Crowleys raised seven children. Damn. All of whom went on to live happy, productive lives. Mm. Helen Ann, or Lillian, Lydia Blanche. I'm Florence, sorry, how do you get Lillian from Helen Ann? I don't know. Okay, sorry. If you say it if you say it fast enough. Helen and Lillian. Oh, okay, I get it. Okay. <laughs> Lydia Blanche, Florence Agnes, Angela Christina, and their brothers Mervyn Marmaduke and Aubrey Clarence and Thomas Hillary. Shut up. And apparently all of them were musically talented. Mervyn Marmaduke? Mervyn Marmaduke. Okay. I you know what? I thought Helen Ann was cool, but Mar- Mervyn Marmaduke. Huh. 
As a result of the Crawleys' new wealth, the children were sent away to be educated at the best schools they could afford, with the girls going to the Dominican Covenant in Maitland and St. Vincent's Potts Point. All were taught music and painting. Lillian was apparently the great beauty of the family with striking violet eyes. She was an accomplished pianist and composer. She composed the Scotia Scotiche in 1895 for a ball at Government House, dedicated it to Lady Dunbar. I don't know who any of these people are or where they're at. Um, <laughs> it sounds super impressive, though. It does. Uh, she it's also better taught, than what we would do. Right. She also taught at the first Juni school, known as the Railway Station School. Uh, the girls were extremely careful of their English rose complexions and never ventured out in the sun without being completely covered and carrying a green-lined parasol for added protection. Why See, green? Even I don't know. Just um, I got even in the 1890s, they knew protect yourself from the sun. Their English rose complexion—that just sounds so delicate and and wow. Yeah, mm. delicate and presumptuous. A little bit, yeah, a little bit. Like, get a tan. <laughs> You'll be fine. And Angela Christina was a talented artist and enjoyed sketching and would do pen drawings on envelopes containing letters to friends, samples of which exist to this day. Oh, wow. The boys were educated at Riverview and St. Joseph's in Sydney and St. Patrick's in Goulburn. Uh, Mervyn... Nicknamed the Pioneer of Queensland, open, owned oh. and operated extensive pastoral holdings in the state. Aubrey, who played the violin, became a doctor. Alphonse, Alphonse was noted as the finest pianist of a very musical family and became a solicitor and broke the Australian record by practicing for 62 years. Oh, by the way, to the Americans listening, a solicitor is a lawyer. <laughs> In, yeah, in America, that's a lawyer. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, Mrs. Crowley is remembered as being very like Queen Victoria and oh, yes. usually wore a black lace dress, lace mm-hmm. cap with stand-up beaded collar, and lace cap. Mm-hmm. She ruled the house with a rod of iron and with her husband appeared to be the quintessential Victorian couple. But as often was the case, perceptions were misleading. Staff would later recount stories of harsh mistreatment by their employers, which spawned many ominous legends persisting today. And in their hauntings. Oh, good. Foreshadowing. (laughs) (laughs) William Christopher Crowley died at Monte Cristo on the 14th of December, 1910, at the age of 69 from heart failure, secondary to blood poisoning caused by a carbuncle on his neck, becoming infected from rubbing up against the starched collar. Oh, shit. What were they searching that with? I I don't even want to know. <laughs> well, if you're using Sarge, Archie, stop. <laughs> Does anyone use Sarge anymore? I think some people do. It's still available. We'll be careful for carbuncles, guys, which, just so you know, is a boil. Yeah. Layman. And can become infected. And kill you. PSA. <laughs> <laughs> It is believed that his widow only left the house on two occasions in the remaining 23 years of her life. She turned an upstairs box room, or a storage room, into a chapel, and she immersed herself in the Bible. Mrs. Crowley herself died at Monte Cristo on August 12, 1933, at the age of 92, due to heart failure and secondary to a ruptured appendix. 
Oh, shit. Yeah, that's got to be painful. What was it you said the other episode? Well, that'll ruin your day. (laughs) (laughs) The Homestead's glorious days were now over, but Monte Cristo would remain a Crawley family home until 1948 when the last members of the family vacated, after which no one would live there again until it was acquired by Reg and Olive Ryan. They purchased the abandoned and vandalized property on the 3rd of June, 1963. Reg moved everyone, including his young children and Olive, into the rundown old house immediately after purchasing it. And there's some stories I'm sure you're going to touch on about that. Yep. The conditions at first were terrible. There was no running water or electricity, and most of the doors and windows were missing. What the hell? How long did it sit empty before they bought it? Um, 1948 to 1963. Holy shit. Okay. Wow. That's a that's wow. All right. That's a fair amount of time. That's a fair amount of time. Um, Reg believes he has a connection with the house and its ghostly residence. He often recalls how, when he first set eyes on the abandoned house, that he felt he was somehow being called back to it again and again. This was a calling he could not resist or stop, and he knew at the time that he would someday own the property. So that's that's what I've got. That was excellent, Arch. That was um, that's a really rich history and quite an accomplished family. Yeah, that was good. That was really good. Okay. Um, yeah, I got I got a bunch. Uh, not to dissuade any listeners, but my portion is nine pages long. <laughs> this place was. This place is 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 crazy. Um, so let me get situated, real, guys, real quick, and we will be right back. Okay, thanks, guys. Um, so, yeah, Arch, Elizabeth Crawley, it was funny that you mentioned um, how she was very much like Queen Victoria and that she wore all black and she, you know, she was very um, sort of staunch in the way she ran her home and, and things like that. Because as I was doing my portion of the research, I was like, you know, she reminds me a lot of a Queen Victoria. <laughs> so then when you said that, I was like, oh, good, it's not just me. Cool. <laughs> okay. So now um, my part, these are all websites. My part I got from the lineup, Australian Geographic, Daily Mail, the Canberra Times, Daily Telegraph, Yahoo Lifestyle, Pedestrian.tv, ScienceFocus.com, and Wattpad.com. Wow. Yeah, I got a lot. Um, I, I had a lot of... These these sites just had such rich and in-depth um, uh, paranormal experiences um, that I I was I just kept like every article. A lot of times when I do my research, I will you know I'll Google search it, and you know first place I go is Wikipedia. Please donate five dollars uh, <laughs> because I need them to stick around. Or this whole podcast falls apart, along with about a million others. Um, (laughs) But I Google search the location, and I just kind of read the articles and just kind of see what has been written, what has been said, what has been experienced at a location. And I'm not kidding. Like, every link I clicked had something new and different. It was amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's, wow. it's, and it's rare. It's rare for me to, to be able to have that. But so, yeah, all of these websites really delivered. And so huge shout out to all of them. Um, 
So now, after her husband died in 1910, she, like you said, allegedly only left Monte Cristo homestead twice. Um, those who have spent time in her house, which every article that I read called it her house. Right. Right? Like, right. what, was it nine people live there? But it was, yeah, it called they called it her house. Um, so those who have spent time in her house since then, um, including its current owner, Olive Ryan, um, believe that Elizabeth may still reside there, despite the fact that, as you mentioned, she died in 1933. Now, I do want to note before I continue with my part that you, Archie mentioned that it was purchased in 63, 63 by Reg and Olive Ryan. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Reg died in 2014. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so he died in 2014, um, so Olive Ryan has sort of taken up the mantle along with her son, Lawrence. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about Lawrence a bit in my part. But um, what's more is that a lot of people think that Christopher Crowley haunts it alongside his wife. Now, apparently, her ghost is um, said to indicate her presence by the sensation of ice-cold air falling like snow on you. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's literally nothing warm and fuzzy about any paranormal interaction with what is believed to be her apparition. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, Lawrence Ryan, her, uh, their son... Um, he runs the ghost tours with his wife and he says, quote, we don't have a week go by without someone having a reaction to the house by either fainting, asthma attacks, hearing things or seeing full body apparitions. It's nothing ever bad and they tend to leave us alone, but they're not keen on visitors being here all the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, he goes on to say that everything from your dress, mannerisms, or the way you talk can influence Mrs. Crawley. She will either like you or not like you, and she is the real maiden of the house. So apparently, and I'll go into a little bit more detail about it, she will let you know if she likes you or if she doesn't. Okay, she, Yeah, yeah. She's a, a delight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So as you had mentioned, and I, I'm sorry, Arch, I don't remember if you had actually said this part, but the house was purchased by Lawrence's parents, uh, Reginald and Olive, after Reginald became convinced he had seen it in a dream as a child. Did you mention that? Uh, I did mention that he said that there was some sort of calling he could not resist or stop. Okay. Okay. So this one article that I read has said that he had seen it in a dream as a child. So maybe... Um, he felt that was his calling or maybe he had just seen a picture. Of, I'm not really sure, but I mean, it, regardless, he felt very drawn to the home. Let's see here. Uh, the article that I read continues the stately home that now marks the new South Wales town of Juni. At the time, like you said, the homestead was barely more than a roof teetering on four walls. Um, when, uh, They bought the house. The Ryans found most of the windows blown out, no electricity, whole walls missing. When they purchased it in 1963, they purchased the dilapidated property off of the youngest of the former owner's nine children, Alphonse Crowley, for 1,000 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, didn't you say he was like the most accomplished like pianist? 
Uh, I think that's what I think they, you said that mm-hmm. Alphonse was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, it was a, a tenuous beginning for any house um, in the market for a ghost or two, um, and this house actually needed no prompting from day one. They these folks started feeling some stuff. Apparently, this this article wrote that it quote. It seemed to crawl with whispers of lives lived and lost within its four walls from the moment the Ryans moved in. Um, Now, in your history portion, you talked about all of the wonderful successes and the wonderful um, uh, charitable contributions and things like that that the Crawley family provided to the town of Juni. Yes. Uh, However, and I don't know if you can't, yeah, because... Why am I here if it didn't go south <laughs> quick? Um, <laughs> I don't know if you came across any of, of this in your portion. I'm guessing that you might have. But there was a lot of death at the property. And if there wasn't, we wouldn't be doing an episode on it. Or my <laughs> part would just be like, there's a ghost and she dresses in black. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to History of Haunting. <laughs> Uh, no, there's so much going on at this place, Arch, it's going to blow your hair back, that I, I oh God, um, take oh, a sip. It. Yeah, take a sip. Okay. <laughs> I think I might be on my last couple of sips. Okay. So Mrs. Ryan has said that she's had a hand on her shoulder. And this woman has actually called Monte Cristo her home for over 50 years. They've owned this property. Um, So she did an interview with the Australian TV show, The Project, in 2015. She says, I've had my name called when I've been here by myself. It's nothing to hear footsteps on the balcony when you go out and there's no one there. So, yeah, here's something that creeps me, really, really creeps me out. Kind of similar to touching my hair and then whispering pretty. Uh, (laughs) There are numerous stories of guests who've had cold hands brush their toes in the night. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. No. Um, or seen dolls fly off shelves, which, by the way, <laughs> they have a doll exhibit at this place. What? I'm going to talk. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more at the end in the know before you go. But they have a doll exhibit at this place and they amp up and really promote the creep factor of these fucking dolls. <laughs> Good God. Um, so um, Olive Ryan says that she was approaching the house on the day that she and her late husband moved in, despite the fact that there was no electricity in the house, because, again, the windows were blown out. It was dilapidated. Mm-hmm. Uh, she claims the entire home was lit up as if glowing from the inside. But by the time they reached the threshold, every light had gone out. The day they took ownership. Yeah, I did read that. I was... I was waiting for you to put that in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, her, their son, Lawrence, who grew up in the house, feels that these unexplained bouts of bad fortune, and I'm going to get to the what is charmingly called bouts of bad fortune. And this is on <laughs> charming. Um, <laughs> he says that he feels that these unexplained bouts of bad fortune are, quote, too much of a coincidence uh, to not be linked to some kind of supernatural activity in the homestead. 
Now, several guests, you it's a bed and, bre- bed and breakfast, so you can either tour it or you can spend the night in it. And then in the morning you have breakfast if you make it through the night. <laughs> Again, it's one of those situations where if you don't make it through the night, you don't get a refund. Right, right. You just don't get a refund. Um, unless, you know, the ceiling comes caving in on you or there's some sort of structural, like, if you're just scared of the ghost, sorry, you should have known what you were booking. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So guests have complained of strange lights, disembodied sounds, disembodied. Can we talk about that word for just a tiny second? That's a creepy fucking word. And it's kind of unnecessary, I think. When you're talking about ghosts? Yeah. 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 Um, but disembodied just sounds horrific. Kind of like manslaughter. Really? The, like that Seinfeld episode, the slaughter of a man? Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we won't be adding those to our new word a day repertoire. Uh, anyway, so disembodied sounds like that of a weeping woman and unexplained. Here we go, Arch. Unexplained animal mutilations around the property. Oh. Uh huh. Okay. I feel like all of our episodes that we've done lately are kind of circling back to Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs> Which is it a coincidence? Is it not? I feel like are, we should. In- are we being directed? Are we? Through our headphones? It's that 5G network, I'm telling you. It is. I knew it. I fucking knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our new conspiracy theory podcast. <laughs> so, back in 2010, a full 10 years ago, I'm sorry, I still feel like we're living in the 90s, but anyway. Um, an episode of Ghost Hunters International captured the sounds of footsteps and disembodied voices on video, which, of course, I have seen and was hella creepy. Now, um, Reginald has, uh, <laughs> when he was alive, he would state that he would hang a picture and then he would find it fallen on the floor, but unbroken two nights in a row. Okay. Interesting, right? But unbroken mm-hmm. as if somebody gently just kind of was like, I don't like it here. Kind of like back in the <laughs> hotel, you know, all those hotels where the staff is like, no, don't rearrange this room this way. We'll change it. <laughs> uh, shit. I, I went back up to the top. Oh, and I scrolled down too far. Hang on. Sorry, guys. Just bear with my dumb, drunk ass. <clears throat> okay. So after her husband died in 19... 19- no, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here's a story about Lawrence, which I find creepy, but I suppose if I were Lawrence, I'd be like, meh, whatever. So at the time, Lawrence was just six or seven years old. He was sent up to bed um, (laughs) with his sisters taking turns to check on him through the night, check on him throughout the night. Apparently, his parents were having a dinner party. And so because he was just, you know, a little kid, they were like, "Okay, go to bed. So he had to go to bed and his sisters were charged with taking turns to check on him through the night. Um, He says, one by one, my sisters come to check on their little brother as the night starts progressing. At one point, my youngest sister is told to go check on me. She's not happy about it, but she walks up to the room, probably stomped up to it, thinking, screw this little kid. Right. I don't know what it's like to have a younger sibling. Um, are you the youngest of yours? Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So we'll have to ask your sisters and brother to, to write in and, and let us know if this is accurate. Uh, <laughs> she's not happy about it, but she walks up to the room. His sister is only around 12 years old herself, and she resented the long walk up to the bedroom. She walks from the ballroom into the main house, into the house. So you had said the ballroom was a separate building, right? Right. Yep. So she walked from the ballroom into the main house, into the house, up the staircase, and is stopped dead in her tracks in the doorway to the bedroom. Um, Lawrence continues, she sees me with an old man on the edge of my bed looking down on me while I slept. The horrifying find prompted his sister to let out a piercing scream, oddly. (laughs) But this story doesn't end in violence or bloodshed. Uh, Thank God, because I've been listening to a lot of true crime lately, and typically those stories do. (laughs) (laughs) The old man looked upturned towards her and then just vanished into thin air. Uh, My sister screams how the adults scouring the property for the mystery man, but nobody was there. And apparently, wasn't the first time little Lawrence would wake up to find an old man sitting at the foot of his bed. What have we said since episode one? Don't fucking watch me sleep. <laughs> Don't do it. Oh, God, no. Yuck. So, additionally, a maid once plummeted to her death from the upstairs balcony. And the figure of a woman in period dress has been seen walking along the veranda to the bloodstained steps where she fell. Now, I did read an article, and I believe it was on pedestrian.tv, where the journalist went with his friend and her dog to visit the Monte Cristo homestead. And he'd heard the stories, he or she, sorry, I'm not sure, had heard the stories about it. And uh, <laughs> the, because they have a strict no pets policy, his friend had to stay in the car. So he had to go in and um, take the tour. And on the tour, they show there's like the steps that lead up to the house. And they're kind of like a red, a red color. But on this one step is, is very obviously um what looks to have been liquid there at the one point. And that is what the homestead and the, and the folks that own it now and give the tours stay. That is where when the maid plummeted from her death from the balcony, that's where she landed. Her blood ran down the steps. And then that's white spot on these reds, like Sedona rock, red rock looking red. Um, This white spot is where they bleached to clean the blood up. Oh, yeah. So it's this permanent bleach stain on the steps. I'll post a picture of it on our social media. But, um, yeah, so that was one of the first things that he saw. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, and it was an excellent article because it kind of writes about how he's sort of, like, terrified of his own shadow anyway. Kind of a, like, that's the style of writing that he had and his approach to this place. So... He was already terrified at seeing this like bleached blood stain on the steps <laughs> of this haunted house. So um, another death that occurred at the property was a stable boy was burned to death in his bed at the hands of his master. That little boy is thought to haunt the coach house. More on him. <laughs> there is also, yeah, there is also the ghost of a mentally disabled man named Harold Steele. 
Harold Steele, who wanders the grounds. He is actually one of the more teeth-chattering stories. He was actually the son of a maid who fell pregnant, reportedly to the owner, Christopher William Crawley. And there it is. There it is. So... This uh, child was kept chained in the caretaker's cottage for 40 years. Harold was found curled up at the feet of his mother's dead body. He died shortly after being sent to a home for the insane after he was found, and the sound of clanking chains is said to warn of his approach. Yeah, yeah, it's... um, So it's said that he developed a mental illness after a carriage accident in Juni, and as a result of his uncontrollable aggressive behavior, he was chained to the back of the cottage for about 40 years. Um, uh, Lawrence Ryan said, quote, after all those years, he got dreadlocked hair and he used to howl in the night, which I'm sorry, who the fuck wouldn't? Yeah. You're in there with your mother's dead? What? No, I. Blah. All right, take a sip, because it's not getting any better. Oh, God. Okay. So, um, he used to howl in the night. Locals in Junie thought there was a monster chained up in the house, and kids would go and search for it. Don't do that. Kids, (laughs) don't go searching for monsters. It's stupid. Um, And Harold would growl and hiss at them like an animal. So, of course, then that just exacerbated the rumor that there was a monster. Right. Yeah, so apparently people still hear those sounds at night, and you will post this picture too, but you can still see the hole and the chain where he was held. So the hole is the worn place in the brick where he tugged and pulled at the chain over the years. It's There's a photograph of it, and we'll put it on our social media so you can all be vomitous and horrified like I am currently. <laughs> I'm going to text it to you as soon as we're done here. Um, (laughs) You're like, great. So he was apparently held in the caretaker's shed um, where this is awful. In the 1960s, a man from a nearby town had gone mad and shot the Monte Cristo caretaker dead after seeing Psycho three times. Oh, yeah, that was a disturbing read. Yes. I guess he wrote, I Jack, ha ha. On the walls of the shed. Fuck. Also, I'm not sure how he made that jump from seeing that movie to shooting the caretaker dead. Uh, But, I mean, he'd gone mad. So, I mean, why am I trying to figure this rationale out? Yeah, there's no no point. There's no point. There's no point. So, that was yet another death in this home. So... Um, some people have stated that they have taken photographs in which a shadowy figure appears to lurk above a white carriage, while another shows a hand that doesn't seem to belong to anyone in the picture. Eh. <laughs> what was um, the name of the hand that just wandered around in the Adams family? Thing. Thing? Yep. Yeah, so apparently Thing is in these pictures. Uh, in other photographs, um, reports have said that vague shapes of an aboriginal maid can be seen in the reflection of the mirror. So a little bit um, like the mirror at the Myrtles Plantation. Oh. Which also okay. I just referenced the past episode. So that's a bingo square. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there have also been um, reports of people capturing white shadowy figures that can be, can be seen floating on 
on the left-hand side of a photo taken by a visitor who was photographing an old bedroom. I did see one, and I'll put it up on our social media. It's, um, it is a bedroom, and the door opens, so it opens um, inward from right to left, and there's a pane of glass, I think, in the door. And there's standing outside the bedroom taking the photograph, and you can see... A, like a, a pale image of a woman in the glass of the door as it's as it's open. Oh wow! Yeah, it's creepy. Um, so we'll add that as well. Okay, so one of uh, so in the beginning of my portion, I cited like nineteen sources, and one author's account from the Canberra Times. Uh, <laughs> if I'm pronouncing that wrong, um, sorry, but I'm American. He writes. Quote, Mrs. Ryan said she could communicate with the spirits. Now, this is Lawrence, the son's wife. Okay. This is her. Um, said she could communicate with the spirits, which were apparently releasing different energies in each room. Some were angry. Others were sad. She then pointed to a fiercely flickering candle surrounded by still ones and said it was a spirit passing through. There were no windows open, but I was cynical. However, always, there's always a however. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> that's just a fancy butt. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, I, I thought I saw a white light move across a mirror when his photographer was not photographing, and he started to feel a bit uncomfortable. He goes on to say, after the tour, we went up to our accommodation room, which was connected to the ghost tour section. Mr. Ryan, again, Lawrence, the son. Mr. Ryan pointed out the escape route. So that's, is that what they call that? Like an exit? If like the building's on fire, the escape route? That sounds terrifying. Yeah. In a haunted house. <laughs> call it something different. I don't know. Uh, he's <laughs> Mr. Ryan pointed out the escape route, noting he left the lights on because visitors often fled in the middle of the night. I just... <laughs> God, I just want to own a haunted hotel just for the sheer amusement of the guests running screaming in the middle of the night. <laughs> I mean, come on. Okay. Um, he goes on to say, I figured they'd be pretty frightening spirits for someone to throw away the $195 it costs for the tour, bed, and breakfast. And I kind of got to, I have to agree, that's a lot of money. <laughs> so... <laughs> He says, attempting to sleep in an old, creaky, empty house would not be an enjoyable experience for anyone, even skeptics. But after hours of staring at the ceiling, desperately hoping not to hear an imaginary baby cry from the creepy cot in the corner, we fell asleep. (laughs) (laughs) This, this, This author is, he writes so amusingly, like I just chuckled through the whole thing until I got to this part. I'd been snoozing for less than 30 minutes when I woke up and thought I felt a gush of air on my feet. So remember back in the beginning of my part where people have often felt their toes being fucked with. Right, right. No, don't do that. I hate feet. Don't touch mine. (laughs) Baby feet are the only acceptable feet in the history of feet, or baby feet. Um, he says, thinking my frightened mind was playing tricks on me, I drifted back off to a happier place, but that didn't last. (laughs) (laughs) At 5 a.m., I woke to Jamila, 
her, his photographer, making a distressed noise as if she was having a nightmare. I shook her awake and she said she felt a weight on her body that was heaviest in her chest. It lasted about 10 seconds. Neither of, neither of us knew what to think, but I knew I was not letting myself fall back asleep and risk having a similar feeling. Wow. Yeah, and I th- I feel like, um, Arch, I feel like we have uh, done a number of episodes where people have had that same experience. In fact, Jennifer has has had that same experience where she has felt like there's a pressure, like she'll be sleeping on her stomach. I don't know how she can do that. I cannot sleep on my stomach. But she was sleeping on her stomach, and she felt like she was being pressed down into the mattress. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So, um, if it's not paranormal at the very, I mean, at the very least, this Jamila was probably like having some sort of sleep paralysis thing, which is terrifying in and of itself. Right. Yeah. So a lot of what I'm going to talk about next comes from wattpad.com. And it's about a group of um, Australian professional paranormal investigators and their experience at the house, which is fucking crazy. (laughs) Crazy. So I want to talk about the dining room. And in the dining room, this room apparently has the reputation of having small children appear inside it and then disappear. I think ghost children are terrifying. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah I you know, agree. yeah yeah like in um the plymouth massachusetts episode where the little girl like not only haunts that one house but she also decides to pop in and fuck with the neighbors and haunt their house yeah um, <laughs> ghost children don't have boundaries and it's obvious in how they were raised so <laughs> Uh, The dining room does have the reputation of uh, having small children appear inside it and then disappear. (sighs) Many people report being told to get out by Mrs. Crawley when standing in or near the room. Girl is not down with the people in her home. No. Mm -mm. Zero chill. Zero chill. Uh, Mrs. Crawley has also been seen... (laughs) This is awful. She has also been seen peering around the corner and looking entirely put out that there are people traipsing through her home. Uh. (laughs) Could you fucking imagine? Could you imagine? I mean, she sounds simply divine. (laughs) The hostess. Now... The next room we're going to go to is the drawing room. This room is believed to, uh, by most to be the most paranormally active room in the house. Many people have seen a man standing at the small table in it looking out the window. Maybe that's the husband, Mr. Was it Christopher Crawley? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, this room does oddly seem to be colder than any other room in the house, even with the owner's son searching for every possible logical explanation. Um, many people while they're in the room feel like they're being watched, which I cannot imagine something worse, but uh, let me continue. And maybe I can. (laughs) (laughs) A man with a cigar appeared next to an investigator as they sat in the darkness of the room, followed shortly by a strong smell of cigar smoke and alcohol. So distinct that the actual investigator said that it was, it smelled like it was a, a vintage of port. Huh. Right? Like, that's a distinct smell of alcohol. 
I wouldn't know what port smells like, but I'd be like, I don't know, maybe that smells like a little Tula Mordu or (laughs) 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 black velvet something or other. Um, (laughs) So uh, what else? Uh, Let's see here. Oh, another time, the same investigation group um, investigated the room, and one of the investigators stood in a doorway. I feel like this was something would be something that you would experience and be simul- just as fucked up uh, from it. Uh, you're like, great, let me hear all about it. <laughs> one investigator stood in a doorway and was stunned to feel the breeze of many people passing by him even though it was only he and another investigator in the room. He also felt fingers brush his face and the front of his shirt as, quote, they walked past him into the room. Wow. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, again, the temperature of the room kept dropping consistently. Now, the next room I'm going to talk about real quick is the chapel room, which you had said Mrs. Crawley had converted a storage closet or storage room into a chapel, correct? Correct. So she has been spotted in her black dress and carrying a silver cross in this room. Investigators have caught strange tapping noises and even the sound of a rocking chair rocking when audio recorders are left in the room unattended. Wow. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Nope. No. Um... Another investigator was walking through the dark hallway one night after retrieving his recorder from this room. He felt immediately nauseated and was shoved backward by nothing in front of him. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. It's one thing to, like, tr- like we were talking about in old Idaho penitentiary episode. It's one thing to, like, trip over, like, a raise in the floor, a rock, or over your own feet and, like, fall forward. But this instance he was shoved backward and nobody was in front of him. That would be even worse. Um, in that episode, you were like, I can only imagine. And I said, I hope that's all we can do is just imagine. Um, let's add that to the imagine list. <laughs> <laughs> this one is a little sad. Uh, one investigator saw the apparition of a little girl and she noticed that he saw her. So she took to showing him all of the dolls that were around the girl's room that they were in. He said she felt really lonely and desperate for attention. And then after they left the room, she began following the group all over the house. Oh, I know. Isn't that, that's ghost children are scary, but when they're sad, ghost children, like, no, I can't. I can't. Uh, EMF spikes, however, are exceptionally common in the boys' room because boys are noisy fuckers. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas the girls are just like, play dolls with me. Um, (laughs) This is where (laughs) shit gets fucking crazier than what I've currently said. So in um, on the property, the back shacks, coach houses, and stables have all been reported to have an evil feel to them. Smells of things burning are also a common report. If you'll remember, a stable boy was set on fire there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the presence of this boy is often seen, heard, and felt. And if you stand in the location where he was sleeping on his bed when he was set on fire, you will smell smoke 
And you will also feel extremely nauseated. Why would you stand right there? I look at, I mean, okay, so we're recording this on Skype and we're doing it on video. And I look at Archie very accusingly. Why? Like he actually fucking stood here. Why would you stand there? (laughs) Sorry. It's just, I can't. It's awful. Um, (laughs) In one of the shacks, a couple of investigators had a terrifying experience with what they called a quote, sinister creature trying to manifest. They both witnessed a green glow. So this is now the third episode where a ghost has tried to emit a green glow. We had Disneyland. We had uh, Idaho Penitentiary. And now this one where I've never heard of a a apparition trying to emit a green glow. Hmm. Beyond Ghostbusters. I don't. Right. Right? Slimer was green. I don't, I don't, I don't know. So anyway, they both witnessed a green glow and were so scared that they left the shack and refused to go back into it. Professional paranormal investigators. Wow. Were, were that terrified. Okay. Yes. Okay. The coach house. Sounds like a magical place. <laughs> it isn't. The same group then went to investigate this location on the grounds of Monte Cristo Homestead. And it has no lighting, and it's kind of a long, large, uh, rectangle-shaped building that houses a number of priceless and beautiful horse-drawn carriages. You had mentioned that Christopher Crawley was a a renowned um, uh, racehorse owner. Is that correct? He had racehorses, yes. So this coach house held the the horse-drawn carriages one of the investigators who this poor bastard was at the back of the group when they went into this joint it was a group of five he was startled and terrified when some unseen thing grabbed him within five minutes of walking into the building oh yeah but he kept on with a group because <laughs> this Wattpad article, I mean, I chuckled for a, a big long while because I wasn't the investigator. But <laughs> <laughs> the Wattpad article said that he really had no choice. It was either keep going with the group or be left alone in the dark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not a hard choice to make after being grabbed by a ghost. Uh, but yeah, I chuckled, for a, I chuckled for a while and then, you know, kind of felt terrible about the investigator uh but this investigator he's got some fucking balls i mean let me tell you um and by let me tell you i mean here i'm about to tell you um (laughs) (laughs) at one point under the attic space in the building they all got the sensation that something not cool was above their heads and one of them the guy who had been grabbed in the article his name is mike um mike Good old Mike. Isn't it always a Mike? I mean, (laughs) it's always a fucking Mike. So Mike, (laughs) uh, who was the guy that had been grabbed, he decided to climb the ladder and see what was up in this attic space. As he climbed the ladder, he had the feeling of someone pushing him upward from below. So he allowed himself to be pushed up the ladder, (laughs) (laughs) only to be terrified when he got to the top. And found a large open window with no barriers. Everybody below, who, by the way, had backed the fuck up from the attic and the ladder he was on. 
they were watching him, but they were like, from a safe distance. (laughs) Everybody soon realized that the entity was pushing him up and trying to push him out of the window to the ground below. Oh. Yeah. So immediately they all started yelling for him to come down immediately. So remember... This place has a history of people being shoved and thrown downstairs and off balconies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Yeah. So that was poor Mike's fucking experience. That is a majority of the craziest things that I have for the hauntings here at the Monte Cristo homestead. I do want to say that Lawrence, uh, Ryan has said that the ghost tours involve a bed and breakfast in the servants quarters, as well as a two and a half hour candlelit walk through the Monte Cristo homestead. He says you either get the best sleep of your life or no sleep at all. (laughs) So it's one of those choose your own adventure kind of things, maybe. Um, (laughs) Except you don't get to choose. (laughs) They'll choose for you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Some people don't make it through the night and drive into town and stay there. Uh, They wake up seeing children or spirits of servants. So I I also read another article that said it was common for folks to have taken a spirit home with them after they visited. Oh, nice. Which is a new, it's new for one of our locations. I don't think we've ever had, we've ever done an episode of, of something like that. But... You might get more than a souvenir when you go here. Uh, (laughs) Not cool. Uh, So I do want to say in closing, I found this paragraph um, on one of the websites that I had researched and that I had cited in the beginning because I thought it was just so apropos. And it says, the title of this paragraph is A Passion for the House in All Its Shades. Quote, where any person confronted with the reality of growing up in a home dripping in this kind of grim history and supernatural present might think the only option would be to escape. Lawrence has remarkably chosen to lean in the house and all its quirks. His father before him restored the home and started the ghost tours, and now Lawrence runs the site keeping the ghost tours running to the delight of ghost hunters who flock from near and far for all of the terrifying delights the house has to offer. He terrifies guests with his tales of otherworldly encounters and seems at home with the ghosts, as, of course, he would be. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's what I have. Um, This place is amazing, and I want to go there, but the threat of bringing somebody home is deterring me. Uh, However, if you don't care, know before you go. (laughs) Let's talk about that. Um, (laughs) So their website is montecristo.com.au. They are located at One Homestead Lane in Junie, NSW, 2663 Australia. You can also contact them at 612-6924-1637. Tours for adults is $15. Children up to 12 years old is $8. Seniors, students, and... um, Concession is thirteen dollars. Uh, prices for the ghost tours include dinner, the accommodation, so the room to sleep in if you can, uh, bed and breakfast. A non-refundable fifty-dollar deposit is, or per person is required within seven days for this particular package. A dinner tour is one hundred twenty-five dollars per person. A dinner tour and bed and breakfast is one hundred and ninety-five dollars per person. So that's actually not bad. It's actually not bad everything you get. 
if you live in Australia. If you live in the United States, it's, it's far more expensive, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's also a 900-hour flight. Uh, one thing that I wanted to mention that I thought was really fucking cool is you had mentioned that they used to have the crawlies used to have balls in there in at that at their place right I think you mentioned yes. that yeah so they continue that tradition oh nice the Monte Cristo and this comes directly from their website so the Monte Cristo annual ball is the longest running private period costume ball of its type in the southern hemisphere. Oh, wow. Started in 1973 by Reg and Olive Ryan as a one-time event to raise money for charity. It turned into an annual ball after guests requested their names be left for tickets for the next year. Um, The money is raised each year for charity and uh, with close to a million dollars over 40 years, which is amazing. Wow, that's awesome. It's really amazing. Uh, guests can step back in time and experience a forgotten era of beautiful ball gowns and dashing gentlemen waltzing the night away, which the minute I heard that, I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. Ball gowns and oh, like just all of it is amazing. <laughs> amazing. Uh, the Monte Cristo ball is invitation only. However, the easiest way to get an invitation is simply just to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Leave your name, address, and contact number with us, and we will send you an invitation. Tell your friends, arrange a group for a table, tell everyone, the more the merrier. The ball is the second Saturday night in September each year. The cost is $85 per person or $170 for a couple. So I thought, that is, I want to do, Archie, can we do that? (laughs) It sounds so fun. Well, travel would be a problem. Well, yeah, but I mean, we still have that, you know, lottery win plan, right? Yeah, right. That's still in the works, right? Um, so anyway, that's that's what I got, guys, on the Monte Cristo homestead. It was very, very lovely, and it is a very beautiful, beautiful home. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I have. Um, my biggest takeaway from it was haunted schmaunted. You can wear a ball gown. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, yeah, that's what I've got. What about you, Arch? Oh, that was that was awesome. Great job. Yeah, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Australia, we haven't done a, we haven't done Australia yet. So yeah, it was uh, that one did not disappoint in the least. That was a good one for sure. Sure. Um, okay, so we are um, gonna dip out of here. We've got uh, stuff and things to do. Uh, cause you know, we have day jobs, so I got to get back to mine on a yeah. Sunday, <laughs> but, um, we do want to, um, encourage and ask everybody to please rate and review our podcast on, um, Apple podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It certainly helps us to be found easier, um, in uh, searches for paranormal podcasts. So if you could please rate and review us, if you like us, if you don't, uh, maybe keep that to yourself. <laughs> We're okay with that. Um, we also are on Patreon. If you do like us, please, please consider donating to our Patreon. It is a $5 minimum monthly donation. You can certainly donate more if you would like. We aren't going to turn away money. 
Uh, but the cost of um, when you donate to our Patreon, all of the money that we receive does go toward um, the cost of running our podcast. It does also uh, originally, Arch, I think the goal was to help us get to some of these locations and do actual paranormal investigations so that our Patreon don- donors could have some extra special content that others don't get. Uh, mm-hmm. However, everybody's grounded, so we're not traveling anywhere, but we are making a list. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so if if you like us and um, you, you, you know, you're able to, I know that right now a lot of folks have been laid off and they're not able to, but if you're able to and you, and you like us and you want to donate to our Patreon, it is patreon.com slash H-O-A-H podcast. Um, we just have the one donor level team snort laugh, which is $5. Uh, you get exclusive content, you get early release episodes, you get stickers, you get bingo cards, you get all kinds of fun stuff. So, um, uh, what else Arch, where else can they find us? Um, they can also be found on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, <clears throat> and our very own website. All are at H O A H podcast. And the website being hoahpodcast.com. Yes, yes. And on our website, we do have our brand new sticker store open. We do have um, just two stickers. Um, so if you would like a your very own history of a haunting sticker, we have two styles to choose from. Um, we do offer free shipping. And yeah, I think that is it. This was a good one. I'm very excited. Uh, let's see. What else? What are we doing next week? Oh, we're going to Texas next week. Oh, yeah. Texas. Yeah. Yeah. The stars at night are big and bright, but, 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 but deep in the heart of Texas. Okay. Please never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one. I'm so drunk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we love you so much. We are so appreciative of you. Also, I do kind of want to plug, and we're not sponsored by anything on Travel Channel yet. Message us. Uh, but, Arch, did you see I posted on Facebook the other day? Yesterday, I guess it was, that I was watching True Terror with Robert England. Yes, I did see that. Have you heard anything about that show? Nope. It is amazing um travel channel (laughs) (laughs) travel channel is known for its paranormal reality shows and this one is a very different take i'm all about the original paranormal reality shows so it's robert england is the host and what they do is they go back through actual newspaper headlines from like the 1800s and the 1900s and they talk about these weird terrifying cases so, like, the very first episode, they do three per episode. The One of the um, cases was this 19-year-old boy who had smallpox in New, New Orleans uh, who was buried alive. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. The other one was the red ghost of Eagle Creek, Arizona. Hmm. Yeah, that was – you'll like that one, I think. Um, the other one was – oh, the other one was there was this man in Alabama – who ran into a local police station in Alabama, terrified out of his mind because somebody was chasing him, trying to kill him. And the police were like, okay, calm down, calm down. It was just two guys because it was like in the 1840s, 50s. And they were like, calm down, who's trying to kill you? And he's like, Edward Smith. And they're like, okay, cool, Edward Smith. 
um, well, where does he live? Like, where we'll go question him, and he's like, you can't question him; he's dead. So it ends up being, <laughs> yeah, it ends up being this guy murdered this man who was having an affair with his girlfriend, and he strangled him with his own tie. And about a year later, his this guy's ghost comes back and is tormenting this dude and it's all shit you can find online it's all actual newspaper headlines it's the most fascinating show and robert england adds that perfect level of freddy krueger creepy to it because he's (laughs) just got that voice you know yeah 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 in his in his hosting and his narration of it it's it's really amazing um they've actually done a couple of uh different uh arizona locations and headlines one from tombstone one from eagle creek the red ghost of eagle i think it's evil eagle eagle creek look that one up because when we after the end of the story when we found out what it actually was i was like well motherfucker son of a bitch oh my god it was amazing it's the best show so i highly recommend it to all of our listeners it's called true terror with robert england on the travel channel and i think new episodes are out every saturday so go check that out as well um, and that's it. That's all I have. All right. I had one last EVP to review. <laughs> one, <laughs> one last endless vocal prattle uh, to go over uh, at the end of the episode. But yeah, so that's it. Thank you guys. We love you. And Arch, I love you. I miss you still. I love you. I miss you too. And that's about it. Uh, if you guys want face masks, please see Joshua Tree Feeding Program's website and order all of the Disney ones because they're amazing. And I'm going to go order the Evil Queens right now. <laughs> all right. Bye, guys. We'll see you next week. Take care. Be safe.